you take your Bibles now, my friends, for the message and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Amen. Our theme today is what I should know about giving but never got around to asking. Or maybe another title could be what I should know about giving but was afraid to ask. All right? We learn quite a bit about this subject in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Here's what it says. Here's what the Bible says. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready as I have been telling them, and that, your, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of your Holy Bible. We thank you for the truths that we discover from this part of your word. Open up our minds and hearts now to each of us as to what you want us to know, to experience, to feel, 
to act upon, to live out because of your holy truth in this part of the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, what I should know about giving but never got around to asking. The first truth that came to my mind as I studied this portion of Scripture is this. The first truth is this. Give willingly, cheerfully, and not grudgingly. This truth comes from verses 5 and 7, and we're just going to refer to them in a moment. Uh, but just before we read them again, the Apostle Paul had asked the Christians in the city of Corinth to kindly give financial gifts to help believers in Jerusalem who were extremely poor and needed help. And by the way, Corinth in the first century was uh, located about, about 83 kilometers west of Athens. Uh, most of you are familiar as to where Athens is in Greece. Well, Corinth was about 83 or so kilometers west of there and, and across. If you go there today, you can see some of the ancient ruins of Corinth. By the way, have any of you maybe been there? Some, some of the uh, tours take people to Corinth, if ever you've been in Greece. Okay. And nearby is the modern city of Corinth these days, which has probably about 30,000 people. And if ever you are in Athens, it is, worth, uh, it is worth renting a car or finding some other means to get to Corinth. Rent a car and drive to see the old ruins of Corinth, and especially to see the Corinth Canal, which was completed in 1893 after about 12 years of very hard labor, 11 or 11, 12 years. Um, do we maybe have a, a picture of that canal? There, there you are. There you are. I remember when I saw this back some years ago when, uh, when I was in Greece, um, I was amazed, I was amazed that back in the 18, late 1880s, they had the ability and the technology to dig this incredible canal. It's just over six, uh, six kilometers long, and if ever, if ever you are there, I encourage you to go on the boat that uh, you're able to go on, to go across it. It's just a very unique experience, and you will say, wow, how in the world did they build this? It's, uh, it, basically, it basically was built so that a lot of the... Uh, boats and the smaller ships from Athens could head westward towards Italy and save them many, many hours of travel time because then they didn't have to go all the way south around Greece, but rather they were able to kind of go across and get over to Italy and some of the other countries. Okay? Let's go back now to the Bible that we're studying here, the Bible verses. Notice what the Apostle Paul said to the believers in Corinth as he asked them to give, as he asked them to help the believers in the city of Jerusalem who were really, really in very critical need. So notice what he says. The second half of verse 5 says, But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. So Paul says, listen, you know, uh, I asked you to help out th these dear folks in uh, Jerusalem, and I know you said you're going to, but please, I want it to be a willing gift. 
You, you want to give willingly, not grudgingly. And then in verse 7, just a couple of verses later, verse 7, uh, you, you see what Paul goes on and says. Let's read it in unison from the big screen, okay? You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Amen? So what is God saying to us? What was he saying to, to them in that first century, and what is he saying to us? He's saying, give willingly, cheerfully, and not grudgingly. Now, some people may give as a, for example, as a duty, okay? Some people might give as a duty. Some people might give almost as if they are kind of like paying taxes. And then other people may simply uh, basically give because of uh, self-satisfaction, self-satisfaction. One author says this. He says, there are people who give a penny to a beggar because of the glow of satisfaction they get than from real desire to help. Such giving is in essence selfish. People who give like that give to themselves rather than to the recipient. Then there might be some folks who give from motives of prestige, prestige. The real source of that kind of giving is, is not love, we would say, but it's really pride, it's pride. And the gift is given not to help, but in a sense to glorify the giver. In fact, the chances are that it would not be given at all if it were not seen and praised. So, none of these ways of giving are, are totally bad, you know, whether someone gives from duty, self-satisfaction, or prestige. You know, they're, they're not totally bad um, because at least a, a gift is made. A gift is made. Help is provided. Ideally, however, ideally, Whenever and whether you and I are giving to help someone who is in need or if we're giving to help with the relief efforts from the hurricane in the Caribbean or we're giving to another charity or we're giving our regular tithes, regular tithes and offerings to our local church, the simple truth is let us give how? Willingly and cheerfully and not grudgingly. Amen? Amen? And today, at the end of our church service, we have the privilege of making our one-year pledges for our mortgage fund, and you will be able to. You will be able to turn in the pledge card on which you will write the amount you believe the Lord will help you to give on a monthly basis for this uh, year to come. And uh, as we do that, we want to remember that the Lord says, give willingly, cheerfully, and not grudgingly. Amen? Amen. There's a second truth that is communicated to us from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where we read. And that second truth is this. Number two, number two. Be generous in our giving. Be generous. This truth is communicated to us in verse 6, which says, let's read it in unison from the big screen. It says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. What's it saying? It's saying that giving is like sowing seed. The person who sows with a sparing hand 
cannot hope for anything but a meager harvest. But the person who sows with a generous hand will in due time reap a generous return, a generous harvest. And one of the ways in which the Bible tells us to be generous is in the area of giving 10%, in the area of giving 10% of our income to the local church where a person worships. And 10% is what we often call the tithe, T-I-T-H-E. Now, sometimes, sometimes some people might say, I can't afford to tithe. Maybe you've said that on occasion. And this is a common and understandable objection. It can be scary to commit to tithing, especially if you're struggling, if you're struggling just to make ends meet. Well, here is some encouragement for you. If, if there are times that you, you say to yourself, you know what, I can't afford to tithe, here's some encouragement for you. Malachi in the Bible, chapter 3, verse 10, gives us these words of encouragement. Read, uh, read this verse together in unison, shall we? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Now, those aren't my words. Those aren't the words of the Church of the Nazarene. Those are God's words. God says, I will pour out, pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Put me to the test. I was reading uh, Jason Bradley, who says this. He says, the Lord woos us with an encouragement to trust, to trust that he will always respond to our sacrifice with his overabundant generosity. That's what, that's what the Lord says. Uh, over the years, it has been wonderful to hear different people say things like this. I've, I've heard people from our own church here and outside of our church, I've heard people say things like, you know, Pastor Nick, I can't explain it. I can't explain it, but since I made a decision to give a tithe to the Lord's work, it's incredible how my 90% somehow goes so much further. Many of you here have testified to that. Um, at our Sunday evening service last week, Dr. Tina Patamber spoke of how from the time when she started to tithe, when she was earning just a small amount, she had a part-time job while in university, she was talking about how she has repeatedly been amazed how God has blessed her financially, enabling her to pay, for example, to pay her tuition bills for her bachelor degree at the University of Toronto, to pay for her Master of Divinity and doctorate degrees at Tyndale Seminary. And she talked about, those of you who are here will recall, she talked about how she was amazed how the Lord enabled her to pay for her car and so much more. And uh, she herself has reflected many times on how God has blessed her because of her faithful decision to, uh, to, to tithe as God instructs us to do so. God says, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, 
says Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. All right, so why don't you put God to the test and begin to tithe? Start this week, start this week. Put God to the test and, uh, and also make, make a mortgage fund pledge, which is actually something beyond, beyond a tithe. It's an offering. Anything given beyond 10% is technically or officially an offering. So, I am often amazed how, how God, how God uses unexpected people to do great things. Um, if you think about this, you'll, you'll, you'll think about examples in your own life. Sometimes God, for instance, uses our stumbling block as a stepping stone to accomplish what no one thought was possible, what no one thought was possible. Pastor Lisa Autar gave me the following story, which uh, maybe someone here in, in church center, because uh, she told me that someone gave it to her recently. But listen to this, listen to this. A pastor concluded that his church was getting very, um, very seriously in trouble financially, and the pastor was concerned about that church's financial condition. While checking the church storeroom, he discovered several cartons of new Bibles that had never been opened, and the Bibles had never been distributed. So at his Sunday sermon, this pastor asked for three volunteers from the congregation who would be willing to sell the Bibles, who were willing to sell the Bibles door to door for $10 each to raise the desperately needed money for that particular local church. Well, there were three men. There, there was Jack, Paul, and Louis, who all raised their hands to volunteer for this task of selling the Bibles that week. The minister knew that Jack and Paul earned their living as salesmen and were likely capable of selling some Bibles. But uh, the minister had serious doubts about Louis because Louis was a local farmer who had always kept to himself because he was embarrassed by his speech impediment. He had a very difficult time speaking, and uh, the pastor thought, Louis's volunteering here. I don't know how in the world he's going to sell any Bibles. So poor Louis stuttered badly, very badly, but not wanting to discourage Louis, the minister decided to let him try anyway. Well, he sent the three of the men away with uh, the back seat of their car stacked with Bibles. The pastor asked them to meet him and report the results of their door-to-door -door selling efforts the following Sunday. Anxious to find out how successful they were, the minister immediately asked Jack. He said, well, Jack, how did you make out selling our Bibles this past week? Proudly handling the minister an envelope, Jack replied, Pastor, using my sales abilities, I was able to sell 20 Bibles, and here's the $200 I collected on behalf of the church. Oh, Jack, that's a good job. Fine job, the minister said, vigorously shaking his hand. You are indeed a wonderful salesman, and the church is indebted to you. 
Then the minister turned to uh, Paul and said, uh, Paul, how many Bibles did you sell? Did you sell for the church this past week? Well, Paul, smiling and sticking out his chest, just very confidently replied, Pastor, as you know, as you know, I am a professional salesman, and I sold 28 Bibles on behalf of the church, and here is the $280 I collected. Well, the minister responded, of course, and said, well, that's, that's fantastic, absolutely splendid, Paul. You are truly a professional salesman, and the church is indebted to you. Well, then, apprehensively, the minister turned to Louis, the man who stuttered very badly. He turned to Louis and said, Louis, did you manage to sell any Bibles last week? Louis silently offered the minister a large envelope. The minister opened it and counted the contents. What is this, the minister exclaimed. Louis, there's $3,200 in here. Are, are you suggesting that you sold 320 Bibles for the church door-to-door -door in just one week? Louis nodded. He nodded. Well, that's impossible. That's impossible, both Jack and Paul, the other professional salesmen. Jack and Paul said in unison, you know, we, we are professional salesmen, yet you claim to have sold ten times as many Bibles as we could. Yes, this does seem unlikely, the minister agreed. I, uh, I, I think you'd better explain how you, managed, how you managed to accomplish this, Louis. Can you uh, kind of explain how this happened? So then Louis um, shrugged his shoulders. He, he shrugged and he, he, he said, uh, I, I, uh, I, I, really, I really do not, I really, I really do not know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know for, for sure. I don't know for sure, he stammered. Well, impatiently, impatiently, Peter interrupted. For crying out, Louis, just tell us what you said to them when they answered the door. Just tell us, what did you say to people when they answered the door? And Louis said, um, uh, all, I, all I said, all I said was, all I, all I said was, would you, would you like, would you, would you like to buy, would you, would you like to buy Buy, buy this Bible. Would you like to buy this Bible for 10 bucks? 10, 10, 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Would you like to buy this Bible for 10 bucks? Or, or would, you, would, you just, would you just like me, would you just like me to stand here and, 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 re, and read, read, it, read it to you? LAUGHTER <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes God uses our strengths to accomplish great things. Other times God uses our weaknesses. Amen? And by the way, by telling you that story, are you listening now? By telling you that story, I had absolutely, absolutely no intention at all of making fun of anyone who stutters, okay? 
And furthermore, furthermore, there are some of you listening today in this sanctuary and probably some listening by radio who used to, who used to stutter a lot and with the Lord's help and in some cases with therapy, you have overcome stuttering. And I want, I want us to just give a hand to wonderful people who have overcome the challenge of stuttering. Congratulations to you. And if you know, if you know anyone who does stutter, then show them extra love, extra patience, kindness, and pray for them, and know and remember that God has a way of using our weaknesses for his honor and glory as well. Amen? Amen. All right, here's a third truth. Here's a third truth that we uncover from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It is this. As we give, as we give, God generously provides us with all you and I need. This truth comes out of verses 8 and 9. Just looking at verse 8, for example. Let's read it in unison. Verse 8, here we go. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. What's that saying? It's really saying, in summary, as we give, as we are generous, God generously provides us with all that we need. You might say, Pastor, how does that happen? I can't explain it to you. I just know that this is how God works. It's just how God works. It's a matter of trusting and obeying. Amen. Let's go to a fourth truth here. Fourth truth is, as we give, God will increase our resources and enable us to be even more generous. Now watch this. This isn't something Pastor Nick made up. It's not something Church of the Nazarene made up. It's something right out of the Word of God, okay? Look at the big screen again, just because all of you have different versions of the Bible, and this just helps us to focus on, uh, this is the New Living Translation. Let's read it out loud, verses 10 and the first part of verse 11. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? It's saying as we give, God will increase our resources and enable us to be even more generous. You say, you might say, that doesn't make sense, Pastor Nick. It's a paradox in some ways. There, there's a verse in, in Proverbs that, that is, is very much a paradox. It says, be generous and you will have more. But God has a way of mysteriously working things out. As we are generous, God will increase our resources and enable us to be even more generous. Here's a fifth truth we learn from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it is this. The results of our giving is that needs will be met and we will joyfully express thanksgiving or thanks to God. Amen? Again, this comes from verses 11, 12, and 13 where we read, and when we take, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God 
So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. Isn't that beautiful? The results of, of giving is that needs will be met, and, and we and others will joyfully express thanks to God. Truth number six from our scripture is this. Number six, our generosity proves our obedience to Christ. Our generosity proves our obedience to Christ. This comes from the second half of verse 13, which says, for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. You catch that? Our generosity proves our obedience to Christ. And then the seventh truth from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is this. You know what? I, I initially didn't have the seventh truth. And then, and then last night, as I was reading and rereading, I thought, you know what? Wow. Wow. I see what this is saying. And, and so I included this. Number seven is... Someone will pray for you with great love in their heart because of your generosity. Now, look at it. It comes right, of, right out of verse 14. Verse 14 says, And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Think about, think about that verse. I don't know if it hits you. At first, at first it didn't hit me. I just read it and read it and it didn't really hit me. And then, and then late last night I thought, wow. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace, because of the overflowing grace being referred to here is their generosity, their generosity in helping the needy people in Jerusalem. And they will pray for you with deep Affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. And that's wow. That's something, isn't it? Isn't that marvelous? And it's beautiful. Well, my friends, there are many other truths that we can learn from uh, this part of our Holy Bible. But as you and I reflect upon at least these seven truths, let us allow these truths to impact us. You see the summary on the big screen. What I should know about giving, but never got around to asking, or what I should know about giving, but was afraid to ask. May you and I allow these truths to impact us to touch our hearts and our lives. And you know, the most generous one, the most generous one has been our Lord God Almighty because the Bible says he, the Lord, came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And he, he died on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sins and mine, 
so that now you and I can be forgiven, we can be adopted into his family, and we can receive the promise of heaven. And that was all done because of God's love and his generosity towards you and you and you up in the balcony towards our radio listeners. May the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ keep inspiring each of us to be generous for his honor and his glory. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the beautiful truths that we uncover from this part of your Holy Bible. Thank you, Lord, for directing the Apostle Paul to teach these early Christians and to teach us so many years later these very important truths about giving. May you use these truths, Lord, to touch our hearts and lives, to make us and to mold us more and more into the people you want us to be. Let it be so. Let it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.